Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, <clears throat> it's good, Father. It's good for us to interrupt ourselves and um, kind of intentionally plan uh, into our schedule some interruptions where we, we say things that are true, even though it's not language that we would normally use in the, uh, in the course of our week. It's good to sing about cherubim and seraphim falling before you. It's good to use words like, um, all to you, I surrender. Those aren't words that we use during our week. It's good for us to use them and interrupt ourselves and our normal patterns with those things. So um, we're going to open up your word now, Father. And, and we want for you to speak to us. We do not want to be the same. We want to be challenged. We do not want to be the same. Um, we want to be shaped uh, we do not want to be the same. We want to be transformed. And so the only place uh, that, that will happen, you know, the only situation in which that will happen is if you speak to your people. And so um, come lay us bare if we need to be and, and, uh, and sow what needs to be sown into us in order that we could uh, be the people you want us to be. And if you want to take just a moment as a church family, you individually, maybe you've got somebody next to you there, and you can have a moment where you finish that prayer. We, your people, are listening. Come with clarity and power and bring the kingdom to bear on us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Okay, glad you're here. Uh, Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible. Uh, Mark chapter 10, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. If you need to grab one, you can borrow that and then... Uh, you can either put it back or take it with you. If you need a Bible that you need, uh, if you need a Bible that you can read and understand, if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up that app and find our live event and track along right now. So Mark chapter 10, here we go. Uh, verse 17. Uh, and as he was setting Jesus, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Uh, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept since, uh, or from my youth, since I was young. Uh, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's, that's our text for the morning. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and give away the punchline of the sermon here. This isn't necessarily what you do in preaching class, but I, I, I just want to set out the most important question that we have to get answered today. Th this is the most important question. Uh, will you surrender to Jesus? That's the question. 
That's the question burning, I think, in the heart of Jesus for us, his people. It's the question uh, that uh, uh, we will answer as we celebrate communion. In the 11 o'clock, we're going to have a baptism of a, a little girl who gave her life to Jesus. And for you and for me sitting here today, it's the most important question. And when you wake up tomorrow, you know what the most important question is going to be? Will you surrender to Jesus? Some of you come in here and, and you have a disposition towards faith, um, or uh, you, maybe you've got even a ton of experience in faith. Maybe you've been walking with him for a long time, and the answer tomorrow, excuse me, the question tomorrow, and the way that you answer it will be the most important you, question you ask and answer tomorrow. Will you surrender to Jesus? There's not a sphere of our life, not a segment of our life, not a, a portion of our life, an area, an arena. Uh, a, a, a set of relationships, a, a, a category, um, a, a box, if you will, whatever it may be. There's not a section of our life that doesn't need an answer to that question. Will you surrender to Jesus? And some of you come in here and you may not have any faith at all. Um, and I'll just tell you, it, it is the most important question that you will ask and you will answer. Will you surrender to Jesus? Uh, I just, if, if you Come in here, no matter if you are a person of faith or a person that's just here checking it out or you got drug here or you weren't sure what was happening or you heard there was coffee or whatever. Either way. There's no pressure in here. We don't do pressure. We don't believe in manipulation or anything crazy like that. Uh, there's no pressure. But we're also not going to ease the claim that Jesus is making over us and, and on us. So, uh, I just want to talk about it in, in two segments, okay? Two segments, um, uh, a good start and then a terrible finish, also known as Game 7 of the World Series, right? You got <laughs> too soon. No, it's not. Uh, verse 17, you ready? And as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? It's a good start. Let's start there. <clears throat> it's a good start that Jesus is setting out on this journey and then somebody ran up to him. Okay. And the reason it's a good start is because there were two things that happened here in this initial part of the interaction. If we're going to get to the question, will you surrender to Jesus? Um, it's good to know that this guy started in the right place. And so if you're under 10 years old in here, I'm going to need some help. Are you ready? Because I'm going to argue here and I want you to see it in the Bible. Um, that he came, that this guy started well with Jesus because he came humbly. He came humbly. Now, if you're under 10 years old or so in here, um, where do you see that? That verse that I read, verse 17, there's a picture of a man being humble there. What was it? Somebody who's under 10? Or you think you're under 10? Do you, does anybody see it? What was it? Somebody? Did I hear a little voice say it? I want you to look along here. As he was running, excuse me, as he was sitting out on his journey, a man ran up to him, and what happened, everybody? He knelt before him, okay? He fell on his knees before him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that happen. It happens to me a lot where people just run up and, no, it doesn't. <laughs> No, it doesn't. Um, but it, in, in those times, it was a picture of humility. As you can imagine in, our, in your world for uh, all the adults in the room, you can imagine walking into your office, and as you walk through, uh, people fall down. Now, in our world, typically, to honor someone, you don't necessarily fall down. What do you do instead? You stand up. If the president were to walk in right now, what would we do? We would stand up to honor, right? And so, in this sense, maybe it, it looks a little different. The expression is a little different uh, in our world. But you get the idea that this guy came humbly. Why is that such a good place to start? Because it is the only way that we start right with God. 
is, is uh, our sense of humility. It is the only way that we approach God. I think this is in the... Um, in the app, but I, I want to flip over to First Peter uh, chapter five and just read you these verses. You ready? First Peter chapter five. This is verse five. Likewise, he's talking to uh, church leaders. Um, he says, uh, "Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you." Now, so church leaders and those who follow church leaders. Um, Uh, uh, pastor types and those who are not pastor types, all of you, he says, clothe yourselves with what? Humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. That is increasingly um, uh, contrary to what the uh, culture is pushing us to, right? If you've got a camera, I've got a quote. That's the world that we live in right now. And, And the Bible says, clothe yourselves with humility, all of us, toward one another. Why? What's the motivation for that? What's the next little phrase there? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I just want you to picture that for just a moment. Because if, if, you, if you sense in you, and certainly this is true in me at times, when I approach God with my pride, hey God, these are some things that I've done for you today. Just want you to know, uh, I'm pretty good today. Like I'm, a, I'm like a, I made like a 92 on today. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm running pretty high here. I'm, What does the Bible say about that right there? God does what? He does, he opposes it. Now, in your mind, can you picture this? Me pushing against a, you know, a mountain? Am I going to move that sucker? No. In fact, if I push, like, I would just wear myself out. But that's not even the picture that he is, is setting forth here. Because it's not me pushing against a mountain. It's me pushing against something like a really angry bull. He opposes me. Like, that's going to end poorly for me. It's not just going to be me being crazy right there. It's going to be God opposes this in me. And so the reason why um, we we say the most important question that we'll answer today and tomorrow and Thursday is, is will you surrender to Jesus? Is because God opposes the proud. That is an active verb. If you have pride in your life, you can bet that when you bring that to God, God will oppose that. But he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, it says in verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may do what? He may exalt you. God's not against you being exalted. He's against you being exalted in the wrong way. So this guy came humbly. That's the right way to come. And secondly, look at verse 18 and following here. He came came honestly. Look at Jesus, verse 18. Uh, he, excuse me, this guy asked the question in verse 17, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Um, so he, his question, the question that he comes with, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is an honest question. Why? Because it reveals his heart. He's not manipulating. He's, he's just revealing his heart. You ever been in a setting where um, as you're engaged with people, uh, um, kids or somebody else, and, and they ask a question and you know that something is rattling around in their heart? Like in our, in our household, um, I get this question sometimes. Hey, Dad, what do we have going on this afternoon? Now, what that question reveals is that that child, whomever it may be, wants something. Are you with me on that? It is an honest question that reveals something in their heart. In the same way, this guy rolls up on Jesus. Hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in his, in his question is the honesty of his heart. He uses the word inherit. It's a financial word. 
He thinks that he's earning, if you, in some sense, eternal life by his obedience. He thinks he's going to perform in such a way uh, that is, it is going to uh, help him, so to speak. He wanted to earn his way with his performance. And then he goes on. Look at Jesus says, don't murder. He basically quotes the second half of the, uh, of the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, you, you, you know the commandments here. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud, honor your father and mother, and so forth. Um, and then he says, verse 20, he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept all, uh, or guarded. I have, I have done all of this. I've been very, very careful. All of these I have kept or obeyed since I was young, since my youth. But his question Hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Reveals that he knows that something is missing. And some of us are at a place in our faith journey where we're like, hey, I thought I was doing all the right things for the right reasons in the right ways. And yet something is missing. Some of you are at a place uh, where you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And yet you got a sense like, ah, man, something's not quite firing right. Like I've got something that's not, I'm not clicking on all cylinders here. And so again, the, the most important question is, will you surrender to Jesus. It's a good start. It's a good start. This guy came honestly, and what was revealed in his question is goes something like this. He thought that because he had God's blessing, uh, that God was good with him, and he was just trying to make sure. That's kind of what he, what he uh, I think, was uh, after there. I think that's what he was missing was this assurance. God, I'm doing all these things, and, I, and I'm rich, so you've obviously showed favor on me. Therefore, I want to make sure that you and I are good. Um, uh, but, but riches aren't always a, a, a true blessing, right? Sometimes they are a temptation for us. Paul says later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, it's the love of money that is what? The root of all sorts of evil. Um, J- Jesus later, he, he'll say to Peter, hey man, it's difficult. It's difficult for the rich people to enter the kingdom. And everybody's like, oh, what? Why? Like if they're rich, they've got God's blessings. They should already... He's like, no, no, no. It's harder for the camel to go through. I have a needle. You're like, what? Yeah. They thought because God had blessed them that somehow God was on their side. They had, inherit, they had, they had gotten that squared away. Sometimes though, that, that, can be a real, that can be a real place of struggle. And maybe it's not riches. Maybe it's talent. Other examples, talent or fulfillment or health or whatever. <clears throat> um. Here's the thing, though, and this is the thing that I do appreciate about this good start. In our own souls and in our conversations with others, if we can't help people or ourselves come to God honestly, what I can assure you of is that he won't deal with us. What do you mean by that? If you don't come to God honestly, if you come to God with a sense of like uh, 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 pretense or, or, or you're going to wear some sort of mask, some sort of costume, God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. You have to come to God, and you have to come to him honestly. And that scares so many of us. Because we think to ourselves, if I really lay it all out there before God, I'm not sure what he'll say. Well, I just want to assure you, number one, when you lay it all out there before God, he's not surprised. He doesn't look at you and go, gosh, I didn't know you felt that way. That's not him. He may say some things like this. Hey, I hear you. Thanks. I'm glad we can talk about this. I hear you. He may say something like, um, just wait. 
It's hard for us to hear sometimes. And it doesn't matter which tone. As a dad, I have two different just wait tones. Are you with me on this? Uh, like, hey, I'm ready for dinner. Hey, I'm ready for dinner. Hey, I'm ready. And just wait. Just wait. And when you're doing something really awesome and, and they're like, dad, dad, is it time? Is it time? And you're like, just wait. Right? Now I got two different tones. He does too. Just wait. That may be one of the things he says. Um, he may say to you and to me, hey, you're wrong. And that's not, that's not, that's not harsh. It's just truth. Or, or he may say something like, hey, obey anyway. Thanks for telling me, obey anyway. Whatever it shakes out, when we come to God, we have to come honestly. And when we come honestly, it's at that point that God be- can begin to be honest with us and wrestle with the things that are in us. And that's exactly what happened. So, a, a terrible finish, verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing? Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, you have treasure heaven, uh, and come and follow me. So I just want to concentrate here for just a few minutes. But again, I'm going to need some help from some younger people in the room. So uh, if you're a kiddo in here, God gave us, you ready? God gave us five senses. Can we name them? Five senses. Sight? Is that what you said? Sight? Yep. What's one? Touch. Touch. Smell. Smell. Give me one back there, right there. One of you Bennett's had your hand up. You got one? Taste. That was a weird 17-year-old uh, version of sound. Sound. And one more? Smell. Yeah, okay. So those are our five, right? Those are our five. Um, the, the most important two are, are, are probably our, our hearing and our Sight, Like we have a sense, you know, we can orient around us what's going on based upon those two. And so um, this particular guy had trouble with his senses. He could not see some things and he could not hear some things. And that, that's what I want to um, just lock in on for just a second. Um, the reason he did not finish well. Good start. And he started well with the answer to this question, will you surrender to Jesus? But he did not finish well. Why? Uh, here, here's one reason. He could not hear the motivation of Jesus. He could not hear the motivation of Jesus. Look back at verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, and then what's the next two words in Mark? Loved him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He could not hear the motivation of Jesus. All he heard was what he thought was the command of Jesus. We'll talk about that in just a second. But he, he missed out on what Jesus was actually trying to do. He missed out on the motivation that was in him. Looking at him, loved him. And that brought me to two questions this week. As I was thinking about us, I was thinking about our culture, and I, as I was thinking about this most important question, you and I, we won't surrender unless we get a positive answer to these two questions. Here's number one. Do you have room in your life and in your worldview for a God who can say hard things to you in love? Do you have room for a a God who can speak to you and say some really difficult things to intake and to hear and do so in love? Jesus looked at him and loved him and then offloaded a, a, a fastball that he never saw coming. He just never saw it. Do you have room in your life for a God who can speak to you and say difficult things to you, hard things to hear, 
and do so in love. Because if you don't, you will never surrender. If you only have a God who uh, pats you on the back or uh, scrapes your, I mean, uh, make sure your boo-boos are okay or whatever. If you only have, if if your God only does those things, you don't have the God of the Bible. You've got a God of your own imagination. You've got a God of some other religion or some concoction. But listen, you don't have the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible looks at you and me sometimes and says, sell everything you have, give the poor, you have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Do you have room in your life and in your worldview for a God who can say hard things to you? And listen, listen, listen. And do so in love, which is the second question. You won't surrender if you don't have a God like that. But, but the second question dovetails right in that. Do you have room for a God who has goodness in his heart for you? Because some of you can have room for a God who would say hard things to you. Some of us don't have room for a God who can say hard things to us in love. Like actually read this and see this and understand this and and take this in as an expression of his love for you and for me. Do you have room in your life for a God who has goodness for you? So I did some reading this week and uh, I ran across uh, this particular passage. This is not going to show up anywhere. um, And I kind of did that on purpose because I just want you to listen I just want you to take it in. Now, if you're taking notes, you can jot down Psalm 25. um, But I I want you to listen to these verses. You ready? You ready? Just listen. David writes, to you, O Lord, to you, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous, though. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Are you listening? you catching this? Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Listen to this. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. This is the one that caught me. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Anybody stupid when they were younger? I mean, like, that's a prayer that we can all pray. Lord, please don't relate to me on the basis of the dumb things that I did when I was 18 years old. This is Psalm 25, verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Listen, this is the part. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord, even the hard ones, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenants, uh, for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. Don't remember the sins of my youth, but do remember me according to your steadfast love. And your goodness. Just, do you have a God who can say difficult things to you and can do so in love? And if you don't have a yes answer to those two questions, you'll never surrender. You will not. Why would I surrender to a God uh, that, that won't say difficult things to me? Or, or why, would I, why would I surrender to a God who doesn't have my best interests at heart? He could not hear the motivation of Jesus. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. 
Second, he could not see what Jesus was targeting here. He could not see the target. Jesus looked at him and loved him. You lack one thing. You lack one thing. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Um, he could not see the target. He thought, Jesus, I've kept all of these commandments since I was just a little one in here. Uh, so, so we're good, right? We're good. And what does Jesus say? You lack, you still are missing one thing. You're missing one thing. And then what was that one thing? Sell everything you have? No. I mean, yes, but no. Yes, but, but no. What was Jesus really targeting? It wasn't his behavior. If, he had, if Jesus had in his mind to target this guy's behavior, he would have looked at that list and said, oh, you kept all of those? I'm really proud of you. Good job. Good job. Keep obeying. I'm sure it'll continue to go great for you. You know, everything will always go up and to the right. You can hear that from TV preachers any night. But you don't hear what Jesus is saying. If you think that Jesus is after your um, behavior, then you, you will miss out on everything that Jesus is actually doing in the world. Why? Because the kingdom that is coming is an invisible kingdom that gets manifested, gets made visible in our lives. Jesus is after this guy's heart. He does not want us to obey. He wants to transform us into the kind of people who obey. That's what he's after. You, you can't... This guy could not see the target of Jesus. It, what he wants to do is transform us. And, and the, the heart is the target. And when we say heart, I know we do this a lot in here. I just don't want the language to get lost in light of the cultural craziness that is our world. When we say heart, the biblical picture of heart is not um, a February 14th emotions, okay? This is not that. The big, biblical picture of the heart is the very core of who you are. So you want to think about it as the in, most internal portion of you. It is the control center, the very center of who you are. Um, Jesus is after that. Why? Because if he gets that, all of the rest follows. It wasn't his behavior. It was his heart. Why? Because he wants to transform us and build us into the kind of people that he can entrust power to, to rule the earth. Don't you get that? I mean, Jesus wants you and me to reign with him forever. Amen. That's what the Bible says. He will not entrust us with that kind of authority and power if, if our hearts are not surrendered to him. If, if we have other gods before him, if we segment or block off a section of our lives that say, hey, Jesus, you can have like all of this other stuff, this one little part over here, this is me. Okay, this is me. My flag is still flying here. You get all the rest, but me over here. I got a little outpost. No, you can't. That's not how Jesus rolls. He's after his heart. You may not like that. You may wish it was his behavior that he was after, but that would be too easy. You may wish it was his money that he was after, but that would be too easy. Jesus is after his heart. You don't have to like it. I'm just telling you that's his agenda. Thirdly, he could not hear. He could not hear. He couldn't hear the motivation and he couldn't see the target. Um, he couldn't hear something else. He could not hear um, what I call the real command of Jesus. Uh, the real command uh, was there at the, at the uh, bottom of verse 21, excuse me, come follow me. That's his real command, come follow me. Whenever Jesus encountered somebody, and, and, uh, and once they worked through some stuff, uh, just like here, like what was his ultimate command? Follow me. 
He looks at Peter, James, and John. Andrew, hey, uh, put your nets down. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He looks at other people. Looks at Matthew, the tax collector. Hey, you should come follow me. He speaks and he says, if you want to be people who are following me, then this is what your life has to look like. He wants us to follow me. We have to be able to hear what his real command is. The goal for Jesus was not liquidation of this guy's assets. Can everybody get that? That's why it's so critical that we hear his, his real command, come follow me. If, that's, if that were not the case, um, then, uh, you know, we should all just go out and sell our houses and that kind of thing. We'll move into the Sunday school classrooms. I don't know what we do, but it's just, like, you, you get it. The fact that, I mean, this is, this is in our world that we live in, there are times when the sayings of Jesus sound so crazy to us. And what we have to hear underneath that is his command to follow. It wasn't, the goal wasn't liquidation. It was following Jesus. Um, and, and what Jesus was dealing with here was spiritual cholesterol. Cholesterol, stuff that clogs your heart. And Jesus is saying, we got to get that stuff out. We, we, need, to, we need to move that out of you. For, for us, excuse me, for you and for me, um, but for all of us here, like, it, it may not be sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, come follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. It, it may not be our possessions. It may be our power. It may be the position we have. It may be the preferences that we hold for our lives now or our lives in the future. Uh, it may be the people that we're connected to or the pleasure that we derive from any particular activity. He may look at us and, and no, excuse me, that's, that's wrong. He will look at us and challenge us to surrender to him. And whatever is keeping you from full surrender is the thing that Jesus will put his finger on. So I, I really, I was thinking this week, like, what would that look like in our day and age? So what if you rolled up on Jesus and you're like, hey, Jesus, I really want to do what I really want to surrender to you. And Jesus said this, go back to a flip phone. I'm not sure I want to follow you that much. I mean, like, uh, well, uh, yeah, house phone, like with the rotary phone. Like, what if, what if, I mean, could you, in your mind, that may be the closest or one of the closest modern day examples of this is that if Jesus rolled up on you and said, go, sell your, the new, I forget which number it is, the one with the three cameras, sell that, go get you a flip phone. That's what you need to do. You'd be like, I don't know. He could not hear the real command of Jesus. Jesus is willing to address whatever is hindering you from following him. He is. So the question is, will we surrender? Last thing, he could not hear uh, the motivation. He couldn't see the target. He couldn't hear the real command of Jesus. And he could not see the treasure that was in Jesus there. Look at verse 22 again. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He couldn't see that the treasure that he was holding on to was blinding him to the treasure that 
was Jesus himself. That Jesus was offering to him. Jesus has spoken clearly to this. Can we just, like, again, some people say, oh, see, Jesus, all he wants is money. Look, look, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. He didn't say put it in the church offering. Like, he said, go give it to the poor. That's what he said. So it's not like Jesus is banking on this deal. Jesus is dealing with this guy's heart. It is, he, it is not the money. It is surrender. That's what he's after. And secondly, he has modeled this for us. He couldn't see the treasure of Jesus because it was blinding. But Jesus has been clear about this. And he's been unwavering about this. And he's modeled this for you and for me. Jesus has said, there are some things that are so worth it that I am willing to sacrifice. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way this can go, I want that. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. You know what that is? That is surrender. That's surrender. Jesus has taught about this and been clear, but he's also modeled this for you and for me. And you and I are sitting in this room today, singing the songs that we sang, listening uh, to the word that we've listened to, and we're going to celebrate communion precisely because Jesus has modeled this for you and for me. He has modeled the very thing that he's asking of us. It's part of what makes him such a treasure. It's part of what makes him worth following. He's not saying, hey, go do that. Good luck with it. He's saying, just do what I have done. And so we're going to come to a time of communion. We're going to have some space before we get there, but we're going to come to a time of communion when you and I get to remember that Jesus has done this for us. The very thing that he's asking us to do, surrender, he has done on our behalf. And we're the recipients of the benefits that come with it. We, we are the ones, when Jesus gave his life up, we are the ones who has benefited as a result. So before we actually move into a time of communion, I, I want to repeat the question and then just give us a moment here to respond. God, is there anything in my life, is there anything that I'm trying to hold on to that I need to surrender to you? Is there any section or segment of my life that I need to be open-handed with? We started this semester with prayers on our knees, God, with our hands open. God, whatever you want from me, I give. Whatever you want for me, I receive. This is that moment. So let's pray. You can go ahead and close up your stuff, put your things down, whatever you need to do. Before we move to communion, I just want to have a minute where we reflect on that question.